we pick up our study where we left off, Ephesians chapter 5. We'll engage our attention this, uh, this morning in verses 23 and 24. Before we consider, I'd like to read the whole chapter and make a prayer. Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This, mis this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that you have given us your word. Your word, as we've sung, abides forever. It is unchanging. It is established 
firmly established and settled in heaven. And Lord, as we consider it this morning, may it come to us like a hammer. May it discern the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. We pray that you may breathe life to us through the proclamation and the hearing of your word. And grant that this word may bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Help us that uh, we might not simply be hearers of it, but doers as well. Help us that uh, we may seek to be obedient, we may seek to submit to it, and help that uh, everything that will be said here will bring glory and honor to your name. This we pray in Jesus' name. We have in this section the longest statement in the Bible on the relationship between the husband and the wife. And what we considered last week is the introduction between the, these categories of people. We have the husband and the wife from verse 22 to 33. We have parents and children from chapter 6 verse 1 to 4. And we have the relationship between masters and servants from chapter 6, verse 5 to 9. And so we saw that it's important for us to employ biblical perspective into such kind of relationship. And so last week we considered verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. We saw that the reason why the wife ought to submit to the husband is because God has ordained this authority. God has, the husband has delegated authority from the Lord. And this authority given to the man is not for man. But it is to bring glory to God. This delegated authority as well is not from the government. It is not from the society. It is not from the culture. It is from God. So that the word submit means to place yourself under the authority of another person. It is a military term, which means to rank beneath someone else. And the one who submits is under the direction of authority and is liable. Obviously, this word is very unpopular today. And when you attach this word to, to marriage, you get fireworks, isn't it? Because it is not easy for people today to subject themselves, to, to be subordinate to others, to obey. Um, and so we saw the three points in verse 22. You can call it the man of submission, that the wife should submit in what manner. We saw that it is voluntary from verse 22. Uh, it is exclusive. It is Christ-oriented. It is voluntary to mean... <coughs> that the husband cannot force the wife to submit. Rather, it is something that she imposes on herself to willingly, voluntarily submit. She intentionally and consciously places herself in a place of subordination to her husband. This voluntary submission cannot be achieved by breaking human will. And so it is not the responsibility of the husband to make the wife submit. Nowhere in this passage is the husband called to subjugate their wives. And so <clears throat> it is voluntary. It doesn't mean that the wife is inferior when she submits. Uh, it doesn't mean that it is optional. Sorry, it doesn't mean that it is not, uh, it is optional to the wife to submit, but it is voluntary. Uh, it is self-imposed. And then secondly, we saw that it is exclusive submission. It says, submit to who? Submit to your own husbands. They are to submit to their own husbands and to no one else. No man can pass around orders to another person's wife and uh, and so 
it should be voluntary, it should be exclusive, and then lastly, we saw that it is to be a Christ-oriented submission. He says, as to the Lord. As means that it is similar. This is parallel here, that the wife should submit to the husband as if they are submitting to Christ. As she submits to Christ, in the same manner, the wife should submit to their own husband. Um, so <clears throat> this is not a begrudging submission. This is not a submission with any resentment. This, the wife submits herself with integrity, with sincerity, with a good attitude. She submits as if she's submitting to God. You're submitting to Christ, wives, if you're submitting to your husband. And so you cannot say you're submitting to God or you're submitting to Christ if you do not submit to your husband. The two go together. And so <clears throat> this morning we shall consider verse 23 and 24. <clears throat> and <clears throat> verse 23 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husband. Husbands. See very clearly there, verse 22, that we are given the man of this submission. Verse 23 and 24, we see the reason. The wife is given the motivation for submitting to their husband. It says, it's because the husband is the head of the wife, and the husband as well is under the authority of Christ. Even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. And then verse 24 goes further to tell us the scope of this submission. How far should the wife submit to the husband? And we are told that they are to submit in everything. And, and so we shall qualify that. Let me say that there is a cultural movement today towards destroying the biological distinction between male and female. <clears throat> and because of that, we see a lot of increase in divorce, a lot of increase in homosexuality, promiscuity, because to destroy the biological distinction is accompanied by this loss of identity. <clears throat> And today, in many churches, we see this reconsideration of the roles between men and women. Yet God has made it very clear to us. There is no question about it. God has shown us from the beginning of time the beauty of manhood, the beauty of womanhood, and that it should be a complementary harmony between them. And so there should be a difference in the way the church views the roles of men and women as opposed to what the world defines it. What we should have in the church should not be culturally driven because culture is ever-changing, isn't it? And that's why you see that the roles are continually being redefined every day. But because what we have is the bedrock of scripture, this matter before us, it's clear. The Bible speaks very clearly. And we should be firm on it. <clears throat> and so this morning, let's bring our thoughts together as we consider verse 23 and 24 of Ephesians chapter 5. And we shall see very clearly here that there's a God-given headship. That God is the one who has prescribed how authority ought to be exercised in the context of marriage. And so the sermon is titled, The Reason for Submission. The Reason for Submission. And the first point in verse 23 is the reason for submission to the wife is the Bible tells us it's because the husband is the head of the wife. Verse 23. The husband is the head of the wife. 
And then secondly, the second reason for submission is the wife should submit in everything to their husband. The submission here is in totality to obedience to God. Is in totality to obedience to God. So we come to the first point. The first reason for submission is because the husband is the head of the wife. The word head cannot be understood except by attributing authority to it. Let me say by nature, God created, generally speaking, every animal with one head, isn't it? I don't know, but there's hardly any animal with two heads. In the same way, God designed marriage to only have one head. That authority is vested in the husband. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 22, if you turn there quickly, verse 21 says, Far above all authority, all rule and authority and power, and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. First of all, there we see that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. God is the one who has put all things under his feet. Verse 22 of Ephesians 1. And that God has gave, given him head over all things to the church. God the Father has all authority. And he has given authority to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we speak of head, we speak of authority. We speak of leadership. So everything about men and women is not cultural. There's a clear difference here for us to see that men and women complement one another. And so, if the wife is spirit-filled, as we see in the context there, the fruit of that, um, the evidence that she's spirit-filled is that she will submit. And when the Bible uses the term head, it means authority. But sadly, our remaining sin will cause us to go against what God has designed. If you turn quickly to Genesis chapter 3 verse 16, this is the reason why there is all this struggle in the family. Genesis 3 verse 16 says, To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. After the fall, God decides to punish our first couple in marriage. Because Adam abdicated his responsibility to protect his wife, the punishment affects his relationship with his wife. We are told there that the punishment to the wife is that she will have desire for the husband. And the punishment for the wife, sorry, and the punishment for the man as well is he will rule over her. The language here describes the adversarial relationship between men and women they are no longer at peace they are in conflict conflict is introduced in marriage and so you have two self-will sinners who enter marriage and, and, and God is, is gracious indeed that even after the fall God still salvages marriage but he punishes the couple God does not destroy marriage and so God because of the fall of man marriage is no longer entered 
into as two joyful lovers. The woman's submission is not something that is joyful any longer. It is something that she looks with disdain. The man is no longer this good leader. Is no longer the caring, selfless leader. The man easily leaned towards becoming a selfish tyrant. And so this man may exercise his heavy-handed rule over the wife. The man may oppress his wife. The man, on the other hand, may relinquish his authority to the wife so that the roles can be inverted. So the wife, instead of being a helper, may become the leader in the home. The woman may have the tendency to be rebellious, while the man may have the tendency to overstate his authority and rule with tyranny. So we are told here that the husband is the head of the wife. And so the husband has the inherent responsibility to be a servant leader of the home, to protect, to provide, both materially and spiritually. You see, this may not sound politically correct to some people, but let me say that this is God's ordained order. This, these are not ideas of men. This is the result of the fall. And this is part of God's created order. Headship and submission are part of God's good creation. So it's the fall that negatively affected the headship and submission. The fall. Before the fall, there was headship and submission. In Genesis 1 and 2, there is headship and submission. So God is not in the business of creating things, of creating headship and submission, and again, destroying it and getting rid of it. God is in the business of redeeming and restoring that which was destroyed in the fall. And so in redemption, what happens is that headship and submission ends up receiving its fullest expression because Christ redeems the intended purpose of headship and submission. Let me also say that authority is not tyranny. It is not dictatorship. And submission is not inferiority. The three persons of the Trinity coexist. They are co-equals. And our understanding of the Trinity is that God the Father is fully God, God the Son is fully God, God the Holy Spirit is fully God. And so they are co-equal. But yet in the Trinity there is hierarchy. God the Son submits to God the Father. And God the Holy Spirit submits to God the Son. And so you have equality in the personhood and yet you have distinctiveness in their roles in authority structure. And so the authority structure does not undermine or diminish in any way the equality in personhood in the Trinity. And so for the wife to submit, it's not a show of inferiority. The husband is not superior to an inferior wife. What we have to do is to look at the, to look at the Trinity. There is equality in the Godhead, but there is distinctiveness in roles. You see, Christ is the head of the church. This headship is rooted in creation. And so you can say that what happens in creation is the mirror of the relationship between Christ and the church. And so what does it mean that Jesus Christ, as he says here, is the head of the church? It means that he's the one in authority. It means that he's the one who determines 
the life of the church. Jesus Christ does not call counsel of pastors to ask for their opinions. He supremely determines the will of the church. And so how does he model his leadership? He models his leadership by saying things like, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The kind of leadership Christ exemplifies is a servant leadership. He tells his bride, he tells his church, I'm, I love you. I'm here to lead you. I'm here to serve you. And how conflict will be resolved in many marriages today when husband removed that notion of saying that I am in charge. I'm the one who orders things around here. I'm the one who makes decisions. And instead, husbands will say, I'm here to lead and I'm here to serve my wife. You see, there is dignity in service. Jesus Christ is not simply the boss of the church. We are told in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, he says that rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Jesus Christ is not simply the boss of the church. He's the one who holds all things together. He's the one serving the church. He's the one supplying every need of the church. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. And so that, that is what it means to be the head. The one who is the leader is a servant leader. He's the one who provides the body, as it says there, verse 16, with everything that it needs. And so, husbands, you are to lead your, lead your wives. You're supposed to lead your wives in what way? By being a servant. Do your best not to be a hindrance, not to be a barrier, but be a conduit of supplying your wife with what she needs so that she can be obedient to God, so that she can fulfill her calling as a woman and as a wife. Headship and submission as well ends up to be related to the issue of unity. Jesus Christ is the head. The church, which is the body, is one. And so there is the unity between the head and the body. And that should carry on in marriage as well. So that the submission of the wife shows that there is unity between the husband and the wife. When the wife submits to the husband, it is a manifestation of oneness, of unity between them. And, so, and again, you're talking about a voluntary submission. But this is a glad submission. This, this is a self-imposed submission. You're talking about a submission that is from the heart unto God. And this is the same thing within the eternal head. God the Son submits to God the Father. God the Holy Spirit submits to God the Son. And so there is unity and harmony within the Godhead so that we are one in purpose. And so headship means that the husband provides leadership. He provides direction. If you do not have leadership, if you do not have a head, there is chaos. There is disharmony. Everyone will be doing their own thing and there will be confusion. What you see from scripture here, firmly established is that Christ is the head of the church, just as the husband is the head of the wife. Because a house divided by itself cannot stand. 
when you have two leaders in the home the home will self destruct when you go to war and everyone is a commander <laughs> there will be confusion there will be no order you'll be defeated and so this is god's choice brethren this is the decision of god this is what the word of god says first corinthians 11:3 says but i want you to understand that the head of every man is christ the head of a wife is a husband and the head of christ is god so the bible makes it very clear that the wife is to be a cherished companion of her husband she's not to be a slave and indeed how we celebrate the submission of Christ Jesus says i came down from heaven not to do my own will but to do the will of my father who sent me and as our mediator he is subordinate to god the father You see that example destroys the notion that submission is inferiority. God does not put a woman in sub- submission because she is inferior. Christ is not in submission to God the Father because he is, he is inferior. God the Father, God the Son are equal in attribute, in essence, in dignity, in worth, in character. Yet one of them is subordinate to the other. So just because the woman has a role in submission does not mean she's inferior to the man. The Bible says very clearly that there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male or female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. The husband is under the headship of Jesus Christ. Just because the husband is the head does not mean that he's free to do whatever he pleases. He too has a head. He too is accountable to Jesus Christ. And so the submission is not only for the women, it's also binding for the men because they are to submit to Christ. Ephesians 5:33 says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. She is not only to submit but she is also to respect. To respect the husband does not mean that she worships him. It means that she shows honor to her, to to him. She shows reverence to him. The wife is to show respect to her husband by word and conduct, by respectful language. respectful language both to him and about him as well she is to do her best to carry out that respect you see biblical headship is the basis in which this respect stands and the reason is because god has appointed it god is the one who has ordained it and so when the husband is the head sorry the wife should not only submit to the husband because she agrees <clears throat> what the husband says you see we see the extent of this submission the bible says in everything verse 24 it may be pleasant it may be unpleasant it may be reasonable or unreasonable but what we have here is the wife should submit in everything to their husbands when it comes to ambitions when it comes to finances when it comes to parenting when it comes to um, marriage desires the wife should submit to their husband in everything in every every area of their of her, of her life this does not mean that the wife becomes a mindless servant of another individual it doesn't mean that she loses her reason she is to think she is to give input she is to show initiative as well as regards to every area of their marriage 
Let me say also that the church here is used as an example of submission. Because the church yields to the rule and self-determination by Jesus Christ. And let me say, as a woman you may think, this man is unreasonable. This man is a fool. This man puts me in a vulnerable position. But when you realize that this submission is unto the Lord, then you ought to submit in everything to the husband. And so there is a peculiar dignity to the call to wives to submit to their husbands. Because you are doing something that Christ does. You are doing something that the Son of God did. You are doing something that has beauty to it. God desires that you enter a life of submission, which is a reflection of what God the Son has done to the Father. And so this submission is ultimately rendered to the Lord. The Bible says, whatever you do, how should you do it? Work at it with all your heart, isn't it? As working for the Lord and not for man. And so the issue of trans, uh, submission should transcend the horizontal relationship. It should as well be a vertical relationship. And so women are to submit as unto the Lord. This is a glorious pattern, brethren, of the incarnate Son of God. This is not a cultural thing. This is engraved in Scripture. This is something that goes beyond culture. This is God's ordained created order. At the end of verse 23, it says, His body and His Himself, its Savior. Let me, let me explain that. When Paul says that, he is limiting the analogy. Paul is saying, Christ and the husbands are different because husbands are not saviors. They are heads, yes, but they are not saviors. And so there is that contrasting injunction there that shows that it is, limited, it is limited in a way, that the husband is limited. And so verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to submit in everything to their husband. You see there the transition from headship rooted in creation to the church now. And that should be the reason, another reason for motivation. How does the wife submit to the husband? She should submit by following him, by yielding to him, by loving him in everything. And so the husband is not like Jesus Christ. He is imperfect. He is a sinner like you. And the wife may be tempted to say, it is easier for me to submit to Jesus Christ in everything than to my husband, which is true. Or if my husband was fulfilling his role as the head, it will be easier for me to submit to him. Understand there that Paul is not setting up that analogy so that you can pop the hole in that argument. Is giving the analogy saying, just like the church submits to Christ, so also yield to your husband in everything. And so submission is when the wife honors and affirms her husband's leadership role. And he seeks to help him in his God-given role and responsibility. She seeks to yield herself to him, just as the church does to Christ. John Piper defines it and says, Submission is the inclination of the will to say yes to the husband, leadership, and the disposition of the spirit to support his initiatives. End of quote. So this submission, the scope of it, extends to the totality of our life. 
But let me also qualify by saying it is always under the word of God. It's possible for the husband to demand of the wife something that is in direct violation to the will of the Lord. When that is the case, Acts 5.29 tells us it is better to obey God rather than man. This is not to say that the wife is to do everything the husband demands of him. She is to do only that which the word of God commands her, which is good and right. And so, there are often difficulties that arise here in obeying this command. One of the difficulties is that the husband is a sinner, the wife is a sinner. When you put two sinners together in the context of marriage, there will be conflict. But there is need to have God at the center of the marriage. To go to God every time to solve our differences. To talk to each other about what the word of God requires. To talk to each other about the weaknesses and the strengths that we see. For the husband to ask the wife, how can I be better? And sadly because of the fall, there's frustration and pain in marriages. Yes, marriage brings joy. It is very satisfying. It is very glorifying in serving one another. But sadly, there's frustration, there's disappointment. No matter how our marriages are, God is bigger than our marriage. God's glory is more precious than our marriages. God is glorified in marriage. When the roles of the husbands and the wives are fulfilled. God is glorified. When those roles and responsibilities are centered on Jesus Christ. They are done in the power of the Holy Spirit. That as a husband, you love your wife for the glory of Christ. As a wife, you submit to your husband for the glory of Christ. And so this obedience is compulsory, brethren. It should not be enforced on us. You cannot break human will. This is a divinely constituted authority. It is not tyrannical. There is no inferiority. The husband says to the wife, today you are not going to church. <clears throat> we are going to, to rest. You are not going anywhere. When it comes to that, the wife should submissively approach his husband respectfully Tell him that she respects him. Tell him that she loves him. But on this matter, it is better to obey God rather than man, isn't it? When the husband wants to do something illegal, the wife should not be a partaker of it. And so these standards put for us in scripture, they fall below the reality, isn't it? Because no one is perfect. No one is perfect as Jesus Christ. And so there are difficulties in wives being submissive to their husbands. There's difficulties in husbands loving their wives. Because of the fall. Because of the fall, God pronounces judgment in Genesis 3.16. And that the wife her desire will be for her husband. And the husband is that he will rule over her. And so there's the battle of the sexes. Part of the curse is that the wife wants to usurp her husband's authority. Part of the curse is the wife's unwillingness to yield to her husband. 
part of the curse is her desire to rule over her husband. And the Bible says that the man will rule over you. And that's tyrannical. That's d- dictatorship. And that's why we find headship and submission difficult realities because of our fallen nature. Our fallen nature has turned us to be inward so that we find ourselves opposed to God's very order. The husband who is supposed to be a servant becomes a bad leader, becomes a tyrant at home. The wife who is supposed to yield to her husband wants to master the husband. Let me say also that there are husbands who are tyrants, who are oppressive. They take headship to mean dictatorship. Let me say, that's not the spirit of Christ. That is the spirit of the Antichrist. Wives who do not respect their husbands, who are self-willed, who have their own agenda, Who may look on the outside, they are submissive, but on the inside, there is rumbling. Wives who will manipulate in order to control their husbands. Sometimes it is aggressive, sometimes it is passive. That's the spirit of the Antichrist. You also have the case of passive husbands. Husbands who are lazy, who are indifferent who do not want to take responsibility, they do not want to take initiative. Because of the fall, their leadership ability is perverted. And husbands who are passive and indifferent are as fallen as the ones who are tyrants. Husbands who will not lead their wives, husbands who will not fulfill their roles as heads, Husbands will not take care of their children. Husbands who have no biblical vision of family and marriage. That is the perversion of headship. It's a form of rule that is cruel. Because if you're passive, what you're doing is that you're keeping your wife in a constant state of moral dilemma. She wants to submit to you She wants to follow you, but you offer no leadership. You're not the head. And so you're constantly putting your wife in a position of going back and forth. Should I teach my children the Bible? Or that is, because that's the role of the the husband. Should I tell him that we are going for the Bible study? You see, passive husbands keep their wives handcuffed in moral dilemma. The wife is in a spiritual island where she's plagued with loneliness. She doesn't know what to do. You see, most men will not think how terrible passiveness is. But let me tell you, with every one tyrant husband, there are ten passive husbands. Husbands who don't want to do anything. They are inactive, they are weak, they are unmanly. Husbands, who when they get home, the only headship they show is getting control of the remote. And he'll sit there in the sofa set, they will not move. When it is dinner time, that's the only time they relinquish control of the remote. And after dinner, they continue their dominion over it. He will not lead his family in worship. He will not pray with his wife. Husbands, we shall revisit that when we reach verse 25, Lord willing, next week. But let me say this is a problem for us. Because of the fall, the fall has so much obscured our understanding of headship, understanding of authority, and submission. 
and the difficulties that are there in marriage is because of the fallen human race. The fall is so cancerous. So, may the Lord help us, brethren. Women, if you're bossy in nature, if you're an independent person by nature, if you're rebellious by nature, it's not an excuse for you to dodge your calling. The wife has no excuse to say, God did not make me to be submissive. You see, the reason why you're not submissive has nothing to do with creation. It has everything to do with depravity. That's why we need grace. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why we need to depend on the strength of the Lord. To learn to depend on Him every day. Women who badmouth their husband, who do not respect their husbands. The Bible tells us in Titus, if you struggle with that, repent. Go to an older woman. Ask them to disciple you. Ask them to help you. Because you only find your joy and fulfillment and happiness and blessing in marriage if you obey God. Submission and godly headship. And so, may our marriages be centered on God. May we all seek to honor Him in everything that we do. Let us pray. Father, we pray that you may help us Forgive us for all our sins. Indeed, there are many. Cleanse us from every unrighteousness. Lead us, Lord, in your paths of righteousness for your name's sake. We pray that you may establish our marriages to be examples and to follow the pattern of the relationship that is there between Christ and the church. Help the husbands to rule with servitude. To love their wives and to seek to provide and to protect them. Help the wives as well to submit and to respect their husbands as unto the Lord. We pray, Lord, that... Uh, the gospel indeed may be lived out in our marriages. Pray that all praise and glo glory may go to your name. We give you praise and we thank you for these things we pray in Jesus' name.